And our passage this morning is in Romans chapter 12. We're going to do just the first two verses as we start into chapter 12. And they're verses that most of us know very well. Many of us know them by heart. And in these opening verses of the chapter, Paul is answering the question, so what happened to the sacrifices? What are the sacrifices of worship and praise offered to our saving God? Young Christians, young theologians, as we read through these passages, and through these verses rather, there's nothing really that I want you to listen for specifically But what I want you to do this week is to memorize these verses. These would be good verses for you to learn. So you can spend all week with your family learning these verses together and then saying them back to each other and trying to live them out together also. That would be a good exercise for all of us. This is the good news from Paul the Apostle in his letter to the Romans. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Lord Jesus, we are unable to present perfect sacrifices to the Lord our God. We heard it in our passage this morning. There there is no way, according to our Lectio reading, that we could ever present worthy sacrifices. And so you made the perfect sacrifice on our behalf. And now every time we present ourselves to the Father, we are seen wrapped up in your perfect sacrifice. And by that sacrifice, you make us sacrifices ourselves. Every day of our life, we are a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving to the God who has saved us by His mercy, by His grace, and for His glory. So teach us how to be your sacrifices. And for this, we will give you thanks. We ask it in the Father and the Son in the Spirit. Amen. Would you be seated? Abraham was asked to sacrifice Isaac, the child that he had longed for in his bones, his heir, his legacy. He was asked to kill God's promise to take it out of his own hands and to put it squarely back into God's hands. Get your knife, get your son, get wood for a fire and meet me on the top of the mountain. That was a heavy climb for Abraham. Sick to his stomach as they made the summit. Dry mouthed and short of breath as he tied Isaac with rope. Blinded by disbelief as he cradled his son one last time like a miraculous newborn before laying laying him out on, on a pile of wood to blink in the sunlight and wait for the worst. His head pounding as he lifted the knife over his head with trembling hands. And in the split second before Abraham stopped 
thinking and fell on the boy in pain and in heat. Where he would kiss his child through sobs as the life drained out of him. On the razor-thin edge between stalling and action, the angel of the Lord caught his wrist and called out, Wait, don't harm the boy. That's enough. The climb down was much better than the climb up. They had died together on top of that mountain, even though they both came down the mountain very much alive. Isaac had lost all of his rights to living, tied up on that rock with firewood underneath, waiting to be lit. And Abraham had died to his rights to love his life as he had always dreamed of it died to his rights to love his child the way he wanted to, had to die to all of his hopes and dreams for what their life together would mean. And instead, he had to give himself up to the way God would love the child and all of his children by salvation. His love was much deeper, much better, much more thorough. They had died together on top of the mountain, even though neither of them shed his blood. And the ram in the thicket, caught by its horns, exhausted from trying to break free, the ram that they wrestled down together and held still as they they bled it out. The bleeding of that ram was for the both of them. And so they were given life Back, and they were given more life than they had before. The climb down was much better than the climb up. The air was sweeter. And the colors were so much brighter. And every sensation was savored. Every straining muscle, every twisted ankle, every sharp rock against the bottom of the foot was a gift. Their conversation was closer. Halfway down the mountain when Isaac asked, So what do we tell mom? And Abraham said, Not a word of it. And they fell down in the dirt and they rolled laughing hysterically until their sides ached and Eliezer, the servant, looked at them as if they were both mad. And after they'd come all the way down the mountain, every sacrificed lamb after this event was a secret that the two of them shared. And every glance between them was a sermon of faith and confidence and knowing and grace and rejoicing. You can live a very full life after you've died. They went up the mountain dying sacrifices, but they came down the mountain living sacrifices. Abraham was asked to sacrifice Isaac, and you are asked to do more. You're to make the same climb, the same heavy ascent, carrying the same load of thoughts and emotions and fears. You are called to meet God on the mountain where there will be a sacrifice. And just like Isaac, you have to carry wood. 
Only this time, you carry a cross. This time, the bloodless sacrifice is you. And imagine how fully you will live once you aren't trying to hold on to your life for yourself anymore. Once you realize that it is God who holds your life for His purposes and His glory and your good. Every day you make the climb with Abraham and Isaac. And every day you answer the words of Jesus. Take up your cross and follow me. And every day... You feel the weight of crossbeams on your back as you trudge off to die to your loves and to your wish dreams and to your entitlements and to your desires. Those shifting desires that change like the wind. You don't even carry them all the way through your life. So of course they're not worthy to be carried into the next. You die to your desires. Every day, you die to your wrong notions of self, to your idols, to your methods, to your strengths, to your own versions of salvation. And each of us has his or her own version of salvation. And it's not Jesus's. To your pet sins, every day, following Jesus, you lose everything. And that's what Paul is preaching to us. Today is a good day to lose it all. Today is a good day to live as a sacrifice. It was during one of Sir Ernest Shackleton's expeditions to the South Pole. The second expedition where he was racing across the pole from one side of the Antarctic continent to the other. It was a suicide mission for explorers, ice and cold, improper clothing, no technology, tents for shelter, just tents, food shortages. At one point, Shackleton's team was stranded in Antarctica for more than a year, more than a year. The men were cold and frightened and exhausted and breaking down mentally and hungry. They were always hungry. One night they were sleeping all together in the tent and Shackleton woke up. Someone was moving inside the tent and he watched in the half light as a man crawled out of his sleeping bag over toward another one of the team and he dug through that man's backpack and Shackleton was furious. He knew exactly what was happening. The man was stealing food, putting himself before his colleague, but he waited He decided he would wait until he saw the man take the food out for himself. And then the man reached back into his own backpack and he took part of his own food rations and he transferred them to his friend's backpack and he closed it up because obviously he had decided that his friend needed the food more than he needed it. And then silently he slipped back to his place and he lay back down And that is Paul's picture of sacrifice. When he calls us to sacrifice, that's exactly the way he conceives of it. Something in us being stronger than nature. But what could the thing be? And Paul gets at it in verse 2. 
Don't be conformed to this world. There's nature. The way of the world that we all feel pulled to. This gravitational draw to follow the way of the world. Going along with the world. The world here means the mind and the heart and the desires and loves of people all ruled by sin. It's our shared brokenness set up as the way we do things. When, when Paul is exhorting us against the ways of the world, what he means is all of our flesh collected together and being systematized. Our flesh becomes business as usual. The world means you should expect to see sin running things around here. It's like the old western movies. You'd ride into a new town and the marshal is corrupt and the mayor is corrupt and the people say that's just the way it is. Nobody can do anything to change it. But Paul's message to us is different. Don't go along quietly and don't be conformed. Refuse. Hold out. Put up a fight. Don't fit in with the way the world thinks and moves and acts. But be transformed. Be made into something you were not before. Be made into something else. Something new. I used to be a smoker. Started off innocently enough. I'd smoke my pipe occasionally. And then occasionally turned into more and more and more and more turned into all the time. And I knew it was bad when once I was sitting on the patio drinking black coffee and smoking like a chimney at 8 in the morning and Jennifer walked past and she said, really? (laughs) This is how it's going to end. And I said, and you're leaving me because I'm a smoker? No, I'm not leaving you. You're going to die. Wow, you're a walking Hallmark card. (laughs) Slow down with the sweetness. I'm starting to blush. No, seriously, you're going to die. You're not going to live much longer. Thanks to that and a couple of other factors, I gave it up. And sometimes... Now, I'll be out and I'll smell someone smoking and I'll think to myself, oh, I remember that. And there's a tinge of missing it. But even stronger than that is enjoying the way I feel now. I've left what I was for what I've become. And what I've become is much stronger than what I was. And Paul is talking about that same state of used to be. Transformation means you were something once, but you've left it for something more. And he calls it a renewed mind. Now, that's not just cognition. That is not just thinking. That is not reason and knowledge collection. It's something much deeper. Paul's mention of the renewed mind is... A mention of the internal engine that drives us being overhauled and converted into something different. It's the end of the old man, the old woman. It's the birth and the growth of the new man, the new woman in us. So what could do that to us? What in the world has the power to transform us like that? And clearly Paul's talking about the cross. 
Because the cross does not conform to the world. It stands in the world's way. The cross says that the world is broken and terribly distorted with sin. And the cross calls us out of the world by having us die to our place in it. And the cross puts us at friendly odds with the world, if we can say it that way. Because we die to sin as a way of life. We die to sin as the deceptive planned community where everything is comfortable and immediately accessible and known to us. We will never be perfectly at ease in the world anymore. We will always be a holy frustration to the world just like our cross-preaching, cross-bearing Savior was and is. Paul's talking about the cross here because the cross transforms the world. The cross was built as the ladder for grace to climb down into our headlong plunge into sin. And that has to say something about change and transformation, doesn't it? At the cross, judgment climbs down to swallow our sin sentence. At the cross, forgiveness climbs down to subdue our awful guilt. At the cross, reconciliation climbs down to embrace the shamed. At the cross, holiness climbs down to kiss the unholy. And salvation climbs down into the ruin that we spin out so effortlessly. The world has changed every time the cross does more of its work in one of us. The world is transformed in our redeemed bodies in the same way it was transformed in the redeeming body of Jesus. And that's what Paul means by all of this. You've died. You've lost everything for the sake of Jesus. You continue to lose everything to have more of Him and more of His gospel. And in this losing, you have died and yet you have never been more alive. The gospel is, Jesus made Himself our dying sacrifice so that we could be turned into living sacrifices. He is the crucified sacrifice, the lifted up sacrifice to make us his walking around sacrifices. Sacrifices that mock sin and amplify his gospel with his redemption alive and moving in our bodies. For Paul, the cross is everything. So the cross has to be everything for us. It is what renews and transforms us. It is where God makes war on our sin. It is where he fights to remake the world in his goodness and truth. So the person who meditates on the cross, who clings to it, who lives at the cross, can't not be remade and renewed. When Jesus calls us to carry our cross and follow him, he's saying, Come be remade by my cross over and over and over. Come and die with Abraham by grace. Come and lose everything. 
everything you're holding on to, everything you're white-knuckling and locking away in the towers of your hearts. Come and lose it all. Come with me and by grace be given more than everything back. Have your hands and your hearts filled up with things that you can't take for yourselves, but things I have to give, and I give them through life that looks like lugging a cross and dying again and again and again in order to be remade. And if you do this, I have a special name for you. Disciple. One of the voices that I listen to most closely in the church recently made this confession to me with her permission. I have everything I need in Christ and I live in more of a state of misery and hell than the lost. And she's not alone. Hell, you could form a club. We could set up a support group. Why is that? Ah, it's because we have memorized these verses, but we have not lived by them. We keep trying to discern without the cross, and that's not possible. How can we make sense of the world? How can we make sense of the church? How can we make sense of God? How can we make sense of ourselves if we don't look at these things and speak to these things and approach these things through the non-conforming, fully transforming cross of Jesus? If the Holy One only understands all things through His cross, then how can we understand anything apart from it? That's a prescription for deep confusion and chaos, which many of us live in. And it goes even deeper. How can we test anything without the cross? How can we test or discern anything without holding those things first up to the cross of Jesus? If we're not depending on the cross and majoring on it, if we're not enlarging its importance with us, if we're not lashing ourselves to the cross, how can we test anything at all? The cross is what tells us what's good. The good that we're supposed to know and love and experience in life is the hunting down and the hunting out of the sin that lives within us and terrorizes us. And eventually for us to take part in the activity with Jesus, chasing it down and pointing it out, here it is, come get it here. Use your strength to overcome it in this place. That's good. We couldn't know it without a crucified Savior. And what's acceptable? How would we ever test what's acceptable without the cross? What's acceptable is to be made holy by a holiness that's not ours, not invented by us, even though that is one of our favorite pastimes. It's the holiness of God reaching into us eagerly and jealously and energetically to have more and more and more of us so that our bodies can be given to worshiping Him instead of 
running away from him. And how can we know what is perfect without Jesus hanging from the cross? We'll never attain perfection in this life, but perfection reaches back for us from the end and it calls us forward. But how would we ever hear it and respond without the cross of Jesus? That taste, that glimmer of perfection is the assurance that our sin is judged and atoned and forgiven and it's humiliated in the sacrifice of Christ. The cross is our down payment for the perfection that is awaiting us. And any attempt at knowing perfection without the cross is fiction. And how would we ever know the will of God without the cross? Here's his will. That publicly, you look less like the world that raised you. You look less like its illegitimate children. And publicly... You look more like the adoptive children who has brought you to himself to make you look like himself. And if we carry the cross of Jesus in faith and necessity as we follow after him, nothing will be the same with us. We'll lose everything and we'll gain worlds more. And if you're ready to know what Jesus truly has for you, what he has always had for you, what you've either missed or ignored or not taken hold of by faith and submission and humility and trust, then don't just stand there. Don't just sit there. Climb the mountain. Carry your cross. Die by faith in Jesus and be given more life in Jesus who sets you free. Skeptics, if if any of this is at all interesting and overwhelming at the same time, if any of this is interesting and overwhelming to you, here's the thing. You don't have to transform yourself. It's Jesus who does that for us. Just look for Jesus at his cross. That's where it takes place. And I'd be happy to talk more with you about any of this. All of it. Gordon Brown is the Prime Minister of England and he's on the campaign trail and he's seeking re-election. And last week was not a good week for Prime Minister Brown. The stuffy, impersonable prime minister was cornered by a woman during a public appearance and she peppered him with questions about immigration and what he would do to stiffen English immigration policy. And he was caught off guard by the assault of questions and he stammered his way through some answers, but he didn't come off well. And as he drove away in his state car, he remarked to his aides and his handlers, well, that was a disaster, wasn't it? Who was that woman and who led her through? She certainly was a bigot, wasn't she? He was still wearing a live microphone. And all of his comments were picked up by the press. He phoned the woman to apologize once it had gotten out. And he followed up with another email 
again stating his regrets. And then, later in the week, he made a very well-staged visit to her home where he apologized to her in person. And after he'd spent 40 minutes inside the house with the woman he had insulted, he came out onto the porch and said before the press, who were all waiting for him down on the front lawn, I'm a penitent sinner. You see what he did? He staged his own death, but he didn't really die. It was all just a bit of campaigning. It was nothing more than a photo op. But what really would have been something would be for Brown, not picked up by any microphone, no nasty comments leaked out to the press, creating a public relations problem in a mid-campaign drama. What really would have been something would have been for Brown to have heard his own comments like a man transformed by the cross, like a man renewed at the cross. And as soon as he said those words, to have felt the sin and the wrong and the weight in them for himself, empty of gospel hope and gospel peace, hurting over them for their own sake, Not because they made him look bad, but because they show that he is bad. And he's dissatisfied with that through the cross's transformation, which calls for more in him. It really would have been something for Brown to have turned the car around and to have repented at the woman's house without the press, without the cameras, just for the healing, just for the relief, just for the worship, just for the rightness of it. And you feel the question it all puts to us. It's the question that we all have to answer. Which do you prefer? To offer fake sacrifices or to be living ones. And that's what the cross does to us. It's the stark difference between clutching at our lives to lose nothing. And then on the other hand, being willing to lose everything to be given Christ's vast more. Jesus is the dying sacrifice to make you his living sacrifices. And today is a great day to carry a cross. Amen. Oh Lord Jesus, fill up our lives with the wonder of the cross the source of all divine good in our fallen, fugitive world, bear its unmistakable fruit in us, and cast its long shadow of hope and joy across our hearts. By Jesus, the beautiful, crucified sacrifice, make us living sacrifices, cast in bodies of willing holiness for your glory and our pleasure, and the salvation of the lost, and your further increased glory. Do all of this, and we will give you thanks.